Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So uh, I just have a question. Where where are all the Jesuses? Because um, I'm pretty sure Jesus said, y'all... I mean, all, all, all of us will be doing the same things that Jesus has done. All of us, that means you, yes, you. So it's been 2,000 years. We should be rounding the bend by now, right? Where are the Jesuses? Where are the... I don't want to say equivalent, but I'm going to say equivalent. Where are the people that have learned to perform all manner all manner of miracles like Jesus has? Two thousand years. I mean, somebody should have crossed the finish line. Somebody should have went up to the front of the class and rang the bell. I'm I'm really. Um, our numbers, the numbers we're pulling here following the teachings of such a, a wonderfully delightful being, Jesus, um, we must, uh, some got lost in translation. Um, I think we might be coming up shy of our potential. If I were to look at the history as I understand it, I would say the Eastern teachings, the Eastern philosophies, the Kama Sutras, the 25 yogas, are perhaps the most powerful teachings to this day to get us even in the ballpark of what Jesus promised us we would all do. And a shout out to uh, our listeners in India in the United Kingdom and Norway, we've we got an uptick in listeners. Thank you very much for joining us. The the Eastern philosophies, perhaps. Didn't Jesus go to um, the, the Eastern arena during his life? I'm super excited about tonight's show. I think we're going to have a delightful conversation. The topic tonight is the healing moment, and our guest tonight is Dr. Donna Marks. We're going to bring her on in just a minute. The healing moment is the name of her latest book. How do we turn on the Jesus gene? We've had Bruce Lipton on the show, and he talked about epigenetics, how our consciousness can sculpt our DNA in a much quicker narrative than traditional medicine has taught us. How do we turn on the Jesus gene? If we were to go back and and uh, time travel, perhaps, to when Jesus was... Uh, on the earth and we watched how what's what's the missing key here i mean 2000 years somebody should have crossed the finish line by now maybe that's happened maybe that hasn't but i think we're going to have plenty to talk about so i think we should jump to it again the topic tonight is the name of uh, our guest's latest book the healing moment and our guest is Dr. Donna Marks. In her book, The Healing Moment, Dr. Marks integrates psychology, personal experience, and a course in miracles to teach people how to use their traumas and pain as a doorway to enlightenment and happiness. This should be interesting. The seven paths that Dr. Marks introduces can help turn negative experiences who's had negative experiences raise your hand yep yep oh, come on get your hand up and miss and turn those and mistakes into meaning and purpose triggers like a lack of love respect 
trust, and more can be transformed by understanding how the mind uses our own fear to manipulate our lives. How our mind uses our own fear to manipulate our lives. This is your sign to choose to open your awareness to the voice of love and experience your own healing moment. Dr. Donna Marks has been a licensed psychotherapist and addictions counselor in Palm Beach, Florida for over 30 years. In 1989, she developed a chemical dependency training program at Palm Beach Community College, which has grown into a four-year degree and received the Florida Governor's Council Award. She is also a certified gestalt therapist, psychoanalysis, hypnosis, sex therapist, and teaches A Course in Miracles, along with sharing her methods with hundreds of thousands of listeners on podcasts and radio shows just like this one. You can learn more at drdonnamarks.com. Join me in welcoming Dr. Marks to the show. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's delightful to be on your show, and I enjoyed our little chat at the beginning. So... How do how do we turn trauma and pain into a doorway to enlightenment and happiness? I mean, trauma and pain, are you kidding me? Well, people who have suffered from trauma and pain have a different perspective than people who don't. And I think most of us do have some trauma and pain during our lives. Other people have had a lot. Uh, You've had a lot, I've had a lot, and the people that we help have had a lot. And when someone has gone through unimaginable experiences and they've endured it and they have uh, survived it, some people don't. Um, They kill themselves or they um, either, you know, overtly or, or covertly through drugs and dangerous living and other deadly lifestyles. Uh, Some of those people don't make it, but some of those um, who, even like myself, who did try to end their life, do survive and become spiritual in the process. And I don't mean religious. I'm not a religious person at all. But we find meaning in what we went through. We find the gold in the um, barrel of ashes, and we cipher it out, and we develop a type of ability to have compassion for other people, to want to help other people. And the more we focus on that and using our experiences to be more loving and caring, not just to others, but to ourselves as well, the more peaceful and happy we become. That's how you turn a mess into a miracle. Nice. I know that, you know, I mean, when we have little kids and and uh, they fall and scrape their knee and whatever, it tucks on our hearts to see them cry because they're experiencing pain. And, and a lot of times we can develop an attitude of avoiding pain or or suppressing the showing of pain and and is there a way we could go into our adult lives like pain free i mean in a if we look at a painful moment are we doing something wrong in that moment that accumulates or aggregates um, pain in our psyche? Because like, uh, like road rage, you know, there's a sense of normal because everything's below the radar. And then a trigger and this immense amount of energy that comes out of that moment had to be put there along the way in the past. How do we propagate pain and not accumulate it? 
Well, you just asked me about 20 questions, and I'll try to answer them. <laughs> because pain is, a, pain is not like a, 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 a simple answer. I mean, of course, if we, um, if, if our, our, our son or daughter or child hurts themselves, our, we, our heart aches for them. Um, if they're allowed to cry and we hold them and say, oh, you got a bad boo-boo and, you know, let's make it better and it's okay to cry, then their pain comes out. Uh, if they they feel upset because someone threw something, their brother or sister threw a toy at them or they're angry because you won't let them go out and play, you go, yeah, I, I get it that you're angry. It's okay to be angry, but you can't throw, you can't be mean, you can't you know, say bad words, you can just say, I feel angry because. These are two basic life skills that most children are not taught. And so what happens instead is they're taught, you know, who do you think you are? Uh, you know, I'll give you something to cry about. Um, either they get slapped, they lash out in anger, they're not redirected to verbalize it in a healthy way. And so as little children who grow into adults, the Emotions are held in, and they become solidified, and then we become neurotic, and we become set in our ways, and we do everything we can to avoid being hurt. And the more we avoid being hurt, the more hurt we become because we're hurting ourselves. We're not trusting that no matter what we go through, we can purge it and recover from it and grow from it. In my book, Learn, Grow, Forgive, I talk a lot about this, that even when we continue to make the same mistake over and over again, we don't have to call ourselves insane. We can just say, we're really, this one's a tough <laughs> one, and I'm really in the learning curve, but I will learn and I will keep growing. I'm not giving up. And so the, uh, the pain does not have to stay. It will leave. And the more we release it and let it go, the faster we heal. But if we keep our hand over the wound uh, of our heart and we don't let ourselves feel our emotions or we go about through life protecting ourselves from making mistakes or from being hurt, then we become very isolated and separated and we uh, reenact that pain over and over and over again. Nice. Well, I mean, some people can be really kind of stoic where they they, – they might go through a lot of grief and they don't show anything, not that showing is requiring, required, but it, it does our mind develop this functional um, strategies as far as handling um, pain and trauma? I mean, in other words, um, as we grow our ego and grow our mind and grow our understanding through our childhood, do you see it as a common thing that we develop um, habits in our mind or ego that compound our relationship with pain and lead us to an inevitable um, breakdown? Yes, I mean if we're if we're not processing our emotions, uh, then we can have, that can lead to breakdown. Or if we um, don't allow ourselves to face reality, because we're trying to protect ourselves, and then reality does happen. You know, a, a relationship, a long-term relationship ends, a loved one dies, you know, something tragic happens, you get fired from a lifetime career, or you have a you know. You wind up with lung cancer from smoking. I mean, regardless of what the situation is, once that reality happens and you haven't been in touch all along, it's going to have a far worse impact than if you saw it coming, you tried to intervene, you tried to act on your own behalf, and you were a participant in your own life rather than just standing there waiting for the bus to hit you, so to speak. Stoic is Stoic has its place, and there are certain cultures that it's more common than others. But um, my book isn't about that. My book is about understanding that you have two parts to your mind. One part runs on fear. The other part runs on love. And we can learn how to choose which voice we're going to listen to. And most of the time we don't even realize how fearful we are. Almost all of our decisions are based on fear. We just don't realize it, including what to eat, 
when to sleep, where to go, who to marry, what to do on a daily, moment-to-moment basis. Most of it is not based on what is a loving thing to do here for myself and others. It's based on wants, 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 which are usually fear-based. You know, if I don't have this, I'm not going to be happy. If I don't do that, I'm not going to feel good. Uh, so the the book teaches people how to access that voice, that loving voice, that part of you that will guide you and help you and bring you to joy instead of pain. So if I want to catch myself sleepwalking, I might sprinkle flour on the kitchen floor and then check it the next morning. (laughs) If if, uh, I'm making a lot of choices out of fear and uh, I'm not aware of that, how do I recognize fear in my thought process? Well, we have to be conscious of it. Like, why am I doing this? Why do I want to do this? Is this the best thing to do? Uh, that's that's a big part of it, is to just be very conscious. But so many times when I'm working with people in my office, they'll say, you know, I don't sleep at night. And I'm like, well, you won't die from not sleeping. And after a few nights, you're definitely going to be tired and you'll fall asleep. Uh, why don't you try writing? Why don't you try listening to music? Why don't you try reading? Uh, where's a project that you haven't finished? Rather than sitting there obsessing about it, get up and do it. And uh, when people will will do that kind of thing, they will get rid of whatever's keeping them awake because they're into action, they're into constructive action, and they're not sitting there obsessing on the fear over and over. I have to get to sleep. If I don't get to sleep, I'm going to be tired tomorrow. If I'm tired tomorrow, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. And that whole, uh, I call it like a bingo machine that keeps you going all night long. Rather than just fighting it or taking sleeping pills that aren't really all that good for your brain in the long run, to be able to just uh, segue into another activity that's positive. Uh, journaling is great. You know, whatever's going on in your mind, you can just write it down on paper or preparing a list of things to do so that uh, you do do them the next day and not obsess about them every night of the week. So there's lots of things you can do but to, to be conscious of what your fears are. But most people's fears are deeper. They're based in financial. They're based in loneliness. They're based in, in fear of uh, something bad happening to them. And most of those fears don't ever happen unless we go out of our way to create them. But by making loving choices, and I kind of outline in my chapter those seven paths to to learn how to have a loving life and a life that we take responsibility for. We don't blame God for it. We take responsibility. And we collaborate with uh, other people, with the universe, with our own creative energy and our own mission and purpose. We all have one. We all have one. It might be being the best uh, mom. It might be, you know, not everybody's a rocket scientist, writers, and radio hosts, but everyone has a very special gift. And when they share that with other people, you can't be in pain when you're doing that. You can't. It's impossible to to be loving and extending love and, and creativity and be in pain. Many people have converted their pain into great works of art, music, uh, words, uh, creativity. It's a wonderful way to to channel it because sometimes we don't tap into that innermost part of ourselves unless we are in tremendous pain. And when we do convert it into magical beauty and something worthy, then we can make sense of the pain. Before the show, you and I were talking about the bumpy road, so to speak, that, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for myself, cracked me open to a whole different perspective of what this thing called life is about. When we, um, um, I guess what I'm getting at is uh, you just mentioned about the um, how wonderful it is to engage your life purpose. If if we have these uh, trials and tribulations, um, 
in our life that that we go through that are challenging and and um perhaps very difficult can is there uh do we have to go through it through the the journey of of the tough stuff to to be able to fully embody our life purpose I can't answer that, but I can only say that my first healing moment happened when I was five years old, and I was in a very abusive environment, and um, my stepfather was raging at me and did a lot of other abusive things, and I remember saying, what what did I do to cause this? And I got the message right away. It said, it's not about you. He is sick. And it wasn't like a, a judgment or anything. It was just a fact. And I took that in, and I did not internalize it. It took a lot more years of abuse before I started to internalize it, and I disconnected from that message. But that message uh, was a very powerful message, and I never forgot it. And I learned how to listen to that voice as time went on. And when I did listen to that voice, I, I was given wisdom. Most of the time I didn't listen to it because I'm human. Like all, all of your listeners, we don't always listen. We don't even know when our conscience is trying to tell us something or our spirit or intuition, however you want to refer to it. But there's that inner voice of love that is always there to guide us. But how often do we listen to it? And so I had those two voices run in my life, my whole life. And when I listened to that other voice, that fear-based voice, I made some pretty big mistakes. And they were painful mistakes. Uh, when I listened to that voice telling me to go ahead and smoke when I was 12 years old and drink as much as I want and try drugs and you know get married as many times as I want and all this stuff, I suffered. I suffered from the, listening to that voice. And the more that I suffered, the more I became willing <laughs> to listen to the other voice that said, you know, that may not be a good idea. You know, maybe you ought to try this or maybe you ought to try that. And so the more that I listened to that voice and guided into to recovery, into spirituality, into mental health, into a lot of work on myself, it was a lot of work on myself. I took the challenge. I accepted it. I embraced my life. And then I did finally reach that place of no matter what's going on, I'm at peace. No matter what. It's a wonderful feeling to be there. Now, you mentioned before we started, where are the Jesuses? I don't think that uh, 2,000 years is nearly enough time for anyone to <laughs> ascend to that level. <laughs> I really don't, and I don't think we need to feel guilty about it. Either. Oh, I, I'm never for guilt. I just ask questions that stir the mind. <laughs> right, right. I, I know you didn't. <laughs> But I don't want anybody else to. <laughs> well, the um, so a lot of times, I mean, humanity is totally a creature of habit in general. Um, I guess that's a contradiction, totally and in general. But oftentimes we have very, very patterned thinking, and if we're caught in these cycles of addiction, of avoidance, of uh, bitterness of anger and and there's still you talk about the two voices of fear and love if love just hasn't been in your narrative even though it's always present within us how do you how do you heal your relationship with that that guidance of love the voice of love the wisdom of love in your moment by moment living. Well, you mentioned if you're having road rage, that's a good example. You're not mad at the person uh, on the road. It's something about your past. You know, momentary flashes of anger f go through us. They just run through us and then they're gone. But when there's that deep rage, that anger that you can't shake and your mind keeps going over and over and over it, that's got a taproot to it. It's always something in the past. So we have to work backwards and identify, you know, when did you feel powerless? When did you feel abused? When did you feel out of control? And 
work from that place forward. We have to get those weeds out of the garden, I say in my book. You know, talk about, you know, we, we have to tend to our garden. We don't just say, oh, aren't those weeds beautiful? They're just a part of me. No, they're not beautiful. Anger and rage is not a beautiful thing. It is a hurtful, harmful thing to yourself and others. So when we feel that intensity, that is our doorway that, that you talked about earlier, the doorway that out of the pain to go back and to heal those original wounds where that fear was, uh, those seeds of fear, the fear that life isn't safe, life is painful, when they first get planted early on or whatever happened at some point in time that caused us to change. <clears throat> that's where we have to to work from that place of healing those little children within us. And then we begin to recognize we take care of them. We show them love. We treat ourselves with love and kindness. And we treat other people that way, even if they're not being nice, because it makes us feel good about ourselves. But we can't reach that point until we heal those old wounds. They must be faced and they must be healed. I agree, but how does how does uh, using control to master yourself? How does the the idea of controlling uh, the situation and feeling the situation? Because a lot of times, control that that caveat of our thoughts can choose in an attempt to control uh, to suppress our feelings. I mean, it, it's there's a little bit of a juggling act there, isn't there? I mean, you want to feel a solid stance, like you're grounded and you belong and you're empowered, and yet there's some surrender involved with allowing the pain, allowing the the anguish from within us to come out. How do you... Uh, that exactly, and, and that's a, and you just answered the question because oh, when I'm uncomfortable, I am trying to uh, my my natural inclination without me even realizing that my fear, my part of my mind, the fear part of my mind has been activated. Uh, so I'm uncomfortable. Something is happening that's making me uncomfortable. I don't like the way someone's treating me. I'm afraid of losing them. I I have financial concerns. The weather's going to ruin my day. My kid's not speaking to me. Whatever the case may be, I get activated. I get activated in that fear. And so what do I do? I start trying to control the situation. I start planning and organizing, and I, I exert my power over situations and people and places and things i try to do that and and what i talk about in my book is to rather than do that the most important thing you will ever control the most important person you will ever control is your own self and that doesn't mean that you suppress your emotions but you sit with them you become attuned to them you you allow them to move through you and out of you and and you don't respond to any situation until you feel neutral, until that other part of you, that loving part of you, says this is really the right way to say this. This is the way to create a win-win situation. This is the the way to let go and let love, whatever the case may be. But you know in your, in your very core, because you're at peace, that, that this is the right way to go. And so that's what I mean about controlling yourself. It's not about suppressing any emotions. In fact, you sit and sink and you fall right back into them. You let them eat away all the negativity, and you get underneath them to that peace and joy and that sense of well-being because you know when you're in that place that nothing or no one can can destroy you. This is just one of those moments. This is one of those bumps in the road. This is one of those hills you're climbing. This is one of those valleys that you're going through. And you embrace the adventure because you know it's going to be a wonderful experience as you go through once you get past that pain, once you embrace it, and once you grow from so much of, uh, and open up and, and widen your whole life to whole new adventures, then you begin to understand what a gift it is. 
But you can only do that by controlling yourself, not managing anybody else. Because people will let you manage them, but you're not really ever managing anybody. They might let you think they are, but you're not. You're not. Because even if they succumb to your wishes, there's resentment, there's acting out, there's all kinds of pathology (laughs) that could go along with that. Right. Well, now that is not um, love. That is not love. That is right. not love. That is fear-based relation relating to life. Well, so if in your childhood, because um, a lot of our persona is is kind of developed or whatnot in our youth. If if you're in a hostile domestic environment in your youth, and the consequence of particular emotions have always been really painful. Um, you talk about trust in your book. Uh, and and to to come out of the uh, the child's experience, so perhaps you went through the tough stuff as a kid, fast forward, now you're an adult, you're listening to this program, and, and there's an a new dynamic being talked about, a new uh, perhaps strategy or technique. Um, it was risky as a child to even play the game of perhaps anger or violence. Or, um, in, in other words, um, there was a lot of consequence to these tough emotions. How do you turn around and allow them to express themselves, allow themselves out of you, and trust that the outcome is going to be to your benefit? Well, first of all, I'd like to say there's nothing new in my book. My book is the result of years of of, um, studying and being in all kinds of therapy and and all uh, and a worldwide spirituality search and deeply studying uh, spiritual material all all kinds of uh, religious as well as spiritual material and um 13 years of personal psychoanalysis and behavior modification and cognitive therapy and on and on and on and on and on 12 step programs and group therapy <laughs> And uh, so that was a lot of learning, which at times I was not able to integrate. Eventually, I I did integrate it, and um, I was able to apply it internally. And then the book is kind of sharing how I integrated it and how, uh, in a simple way, how other people can integrate it too. Because I think we make things way too complicated. Just like if that little girl or that little boy or what, how, whatever can, you know, just just cry, just cry, and, and you just hold them. You just hold them and say, it's okay to be sad. You do that for yourself as an adult. You just let yourself cry. But people will resist it. They will resist it with every part of their being. They feel ashamed to cry because they didn't learn how when they were little. So rather than blaming anybody for that, I don't ever want to blame parents. I made all the mistakes myself. I didn't know how to do it right. Rather than blaming anybody, we can just say, I'm going to do it for myself now. Now I'm going to allow myself to cry. I'm going to allow myself to hurt. I'm going to allow myself to be hurt because I trust. Now, I was made to have tears. There's two reasons I have tears. One reason I have tears is if something gets in my eye, my eye will cleanse itself. The other reason I have tears is that something gets in my heart, my heart will cleanse itself. So we let it go, and it's a scientific fact that your brain releases oxytocin, which is a really good um, hormone feeling, a good hormone that produces good feelings. So you're not only getting uh, the psychological relief of getting the pain out of you, but you're also getting a chemical relief as well. But people suffer because they won't let go of their pain. Same thing with anger. If that little kid is allowed to say, I'm mad at you, I hate you, I don't like you, (laughs) 
you can say that's okay, but you still have to do your homework before you go out and play. But it's okay, you're angry with me, it's all right. And it's good that you voiced it. But instead, they get punished, they get slapped, they get all kinds of things. So, again, do we want to blame what happened back there or do we want to get in a correction? The correction is, I feel angry. Why am I angry? What's underneath my anger? There's always fear underneath anger and guilt. I talk a lot about that in the book because if we can get into the fear under the anger, I, if I have road rage, I, I, if I track it down, I mean, immediately I feel like this person has taken control over me on the road and I'm, I'm outraged. But wait, it's got to be deeper than that because who hasn't made stupid mistakes on the road? And if everybody's in road rage all the time, we'd all be dead. So. <laughs> so I, I got I have to take responsibility. Go deeper. What am I so mad about? What am I so angry about? And get into that little kid that didn't, you know, that didn't have any control in their life, and wasn't allowed to get it out when they were mad. And learn effective ways to use words to get out the anger, so that it doesn't sting, so that it doesn't hurt, and it doesn't attack. But it is artic- articulated when absolutely necessary. But most importantly, to honor ourselves. Sometimes people are violating us, and we have to understand we're angry because we're being violated. And then we have to be able to communicate in ways that are solution-orientated. That doesn't always happen, but at least we're willing to do that. And so these are the things that cause us suffering when we don't acknowledge them. We don't allow ourselves to feel them and to experience them and to uh, verbalize them constructively. We remain trapped nice. in our own emotions. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, the it can be so easy to blame the parents, blame the whatever. In your book, you talk about forgiveness, finding happiness through forgiveness. How do you how do you move from the blame game to forgiveness? Well, we have to. We, I mean, history is factual. Now, a lot of people don't really remember accurately. A child, a five-year-old, does not remember as accurately as a 15-year-old, let's say. But even then, I mean, we, I think we have to start with the premise that when bad things happened, um, you can take five kids in the same family and they will perceive it totally different. But that doesn't mean that we don't face it. We have to face what happened. It doesn't do, there's nothing constructive in blaming. Sometimes I'll, I'll work with families and 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 children who are grown will um, face their parents, and their parents will create the space for that child to communicate the pain they went through because the parents have reached a place where they want to heal. They regret what they did, and they want to mend those wounds, and they want to help with that. Um, that's not all that common, but it does happen frequently. And, and and when and when people are willing to do it in therapy, it is more frequent, and uh, that is a beautiful thing. And it, and then people share their forgiveness. But even if those who have violated us are not willing to heal with us, uh, which is probably more common than not, we can still forgive because, what, as I describe it in the chapter. At the root of all resentment is self-blame. Just like I said at the beginning of our, our show, that five-year-old, my, when I was five years old, my question was, what did I do to cause this to happen? Why is he hitting me? Why is he yelling at me? Why is he crazy and mad at me? What did I do to cause him to be so insane? I didn't think the word insane, but that was the gist of it. Right. And and that is at the root of all of our resentments. I should have been smarter. I should have seen this happening. I should have done this. I should have done that. There's, the resentment is at ourselves down deep, down deep. I married the wrong person. I shouldn't take that job. I should have done this instead. I mean, it just never stops. 
And it's these are the big things, and the little things are what keep us up at night. <laughs> and so um, when we don't tune into that part of ourselves that faces what happened, and without blaming, and we can say, you know, we can see a much bigger picture. We can understand that a lot of uh, abuse is intergenerational. I certainly didn't have the skills to raise my first child uh, and, and learned with the second and third as well. I mean, we're just now understanding how important effective child care is and what creates good bonding and secure attachments and things like that. Freud wrote about it over 100 years ago, but we're just now beginning to understand how wise his words were when it comes to child development. And so we can really have compassion for people who hurt us. I certainly do for, for the people who hurt me, including parents. have deep compassion for them. We think that people who hurt us um, get away with things, but we all have regrets. And people who hurt other people have regrets about that. When we forgive people, we, we set both them and ourselves free. Free. We're not carrying around that luggage anymore. We're not carrying around all those bags of garbage. It just bogs us down, and we're light, and we're free, and we know this is about the trust that I talk about in the book. We trust, then we know, no matter what happens to me, I'm going to be okay. I can feel my feelings. I can heal from whatever what happened, and I'll just go on. I might even make another mistake, and it'll be okay, because I will continue to learn and grow from those experiences. I won't carry the past around with me. It's, well a, it's like dragging a freight train along with you. <laughs> it's not a couple worth of freight it. trains. Yeah. Yeah. There's no value in it. One freight train called blame. One freight freight train called victim. One freight train called mistakes. It's just useless. Nice. Well. In your book, you talk about finding self-love. How do we move out of the the kind of endurance or the challenge of trauma and pain and difficulty? How how do we create the space in our psyche for love to become a much more prominent, much more familiar, uh, much more uh, um, I guess, prominent aspect of our day-to-day living. Well, there's a whole lot of books and a whole lot of conversation about love. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and you have to, I mean, when you start getting close to love with a big L, you have to go to poetry because words just become so inadequate. But that's just my opinion. Well, that's that's a very good point. Well, I read a lot about it, and I, 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 had, I had been sober uh, for 23 years and relapsed for a while, and I felt that God didn't love me, and I was raging one night at God, <laughs> and uh, it was came, and one of those messages, <laughs> factual messages came to me, and it said, don't blame me, it's not me that doesn't love you, you don't love yourself, and I was like, oh my God, that's so true. But what in the world does that mean? I really did not have a clue what it meant. And I see that every single patient I work with, every single one of them. I say, do you love yourself? Well, I think so. Tell me how you know that. What do you do that makes you know you love yourself? And I try to help people to understand, you know, if they're sitting in front of their TV set at night eating three bags of potato chips, and, you know, having a glass of wine, and then they get up and, and whenever they want the next day, and, and they go to work, and they, you know, they sludge through the day at work. They're they just, just marking off the hours, and, you know, then they feel good. They get their paycheck, and, and, and they have a house, and they have kids or whatever, whatever, whatever. None of that has anything to do with love. Love is an action. It's an action. And I try to bring people back to that basic self-care if you were taking care of you and you were two years old, what would be the healthy things you would be doing with that child? And I talk about them in the book. You know, you would hug them, you would cuddle them, you would make sure they were fed good food, hopefully healthy, nutritious. You would start teaching them that their body is a sacred temple and we want to treat it in a sacred way. 
uh, we teach, teach them good hygiene, and not because it, they, they they're gonna they're gonna get a reward or because they have to, but because you know if we take care of our teeth, if we take care of our tummies, if we take care of our heart, it makes them teeth happy, it makes our heart happy, and we feel good, and we and we feel energy, and we can play more and have more fun. You know these kinds of conversations. This is what love is. You know we we hold them and we listen to them and we pay attention to them. We don't pay attention to ourselves at all until we don't feel well, until we're hurting, or we're physically ill. So, this is a you know this is a, a a very important topic, but it's an action. And one of the things I say in this chapter right off the bat is no one, no one, no one will ever love you more than you love yourself. I conclude the chapter with 77 ways to self-love, and I encourage people to add their own onto that. But it's an action. And when you act with love, then you feel all those beautiful feelings that are part of it. But love is an action. Nice. Now in your bio, you talk about the book Integrating Psychology, Personal Experience, and A, a Course in Miracles. How did uh, how has the Course in Miracles influenced you? Well, I always uh, I always felt like if Jesus did come back today, I, I felt like we missed the message when He was here before, because He kept repeating it over and over again. You know, love God, love yourself, love one another. You know, it's not complicated. It's not complicated. It was so simple, you know, forgive, love, forgive, love. And so, um, and, and do good works and care about other people and, you know, care for yourself and, uh, you know, honor your spirituality and, and you know, you, you can, you, you have a purpose. He told us we all have a purpose. I think that's what he's saying when we, we you can do greater works than me. I mean, his talent was uh, uh, this incredible being of spirituality and healing. But we all have gifts. We have gifts that Jesus didn't have. And so, you know, we all have that God-given gift. And so we all can do great works. And um, it's a beautiful thing. And so what happens, though, is we, we we disconnect from that and we get on these roads or we get on these paths that aren't productive. And then we wind up wasting a lot of time. But it's never too late. It's never too late to have a happy adulthood, I say. Can't change our past, can't change our childhood, but it's never too late to have a happy adulthood. Nice. Well, perhaps we should put some context to A Course in Miracles. If we have new listeners to the show that might not have heard of A Course in Miracles, how would you describe it? Right. So um, there was a professor at Columbia University uh, in the psychiatry department who was very frustrated with uh, the backbiting, competitive, dysfunctional system uh, within the within the school of the college, and she said to her colleague, Dr. William Thetford, uh, "You know, there's got to be a better way of doing things. This is ridiculous. After all, we are in psychiatry." And uh, he agreed. And uh, Dr. Shuckman, by the way, was um, atheist and Jewish. And almost immediately, she started having very spiritual dreams, which frightened her because she didn't understand them. And then she started hearing, uh, uh, she was being channeled by a voice that told her to take notes. It just kept saying, take notes. And she ignored it and suppressed it and did everything she could not to listen to it. And it persisted, take notes, take notes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so she confided in Dr. Thetford, and he said, she said, I think I'm losing my mind. I'm having these weird dreams, and this voice is telling me to take notes. And he said, well, you're not crazy. Take notes. Just see what comes out. And out of that came A Course in Miracles, which um, is about learning how to, to choose love over fear. We have an ego, which is a wounded, separated part of the mind, which is fear-based. And we don't realize we're afraid because it's always covered up with anger and guilt. And then we have our Holy Spirit, which is a loving part of our mind 
and we learn. Uh, the Course teaches us how to choose between the two. It's very dense reading. I think it's done that way intentionally. We think we know everything, and so when we're reading it, we're, we recognize we don't know, we don't always understand, and we are um, challenged to contemplate what the Course is teaching. But it's actually very simple. It just um, it, It's just worded in such a way that we do have to think about it. So there's a textbook. On a workbook with 365 lessons, one for every day of the year. And then there's a teacher's manual, and the course says the student and the teacher are the same, so whenever we are a student, we can teach. And uh, there's a lot of other good books that are, you know, explanations of the course. Um, if you just uh, Google, you know, courses that are books that explain A Course in Miracles, uh, books like Jerry Jampolsky's uh, Love is Letting Go of Fear come up. It's a very simple, um, nice little book. And um, it's a, to me, it's, it, it, since uh, Jesus was the channeler, um, he's telling us, you know, you didn't get it the first 2,000 years here. I'll make it a little more complicated for you. Maybe you'll get it this time. <laughs> <laughs> You can't contaminate, you know, my words. I'm, I'm going to dictate them personally to Dr. Shuck, who doesn't even believe in me, so no one will doubt. <laughs> She's not religious. She's an atheist, so it's going to be a hard time criticizing her that she made all this up. So, uh, you know, just like the disciples who were really not big believers or, or certainly weren't, uh, uh, they were. They, I think they were all Jewish, but they weren't, um, what's the word? They weren't practicing per se. Uh, so he picked somebody very much like that. She was a good disciple, but I don't. I think she remained a fairly skeptical believer uh, until she died from what I've read. Well, at least it, it put ink on paper, so to speak, because it seems uh-huh. like a lot of the original teachings were word of mouth for a while before it got yeah. put down in print. So yeah. To have it go straight from the languaging right onto the page, that's got to help yeah. too, so it won't be polluted and polluted by when minds think they know best to correct. Right. Stuff. I don't want it to say this. This isn't what he meant. Yeah. I know, <laughs> I know better. Let me fix this. We'll take yeah. that out and we'll take that out and yeah. Well, we know that that happened through the various centuries through different religious leaders and other people. So, yeah, which well, might be time... one of the reasons why why there's no many not many Jesuses. <laughs> <laughs> Become your own personal Jesus. So the uh, time sure. seems seems to be slipping by here. I want to make sure you can. Promote your book, your web page, your services. Tell us all about you, what you have to offer, and how the audience can engage your services. Well, I ha- my website is www.drdonnamarks.com, and uh, we have a place where people can register. I send There's a lot of free things on the web. Um, I send out a weekly blog. And then we store all of them on the web page as well. There's um, all kinds of podcasts, TV shows, radio shows, interviews that people can listen to. There's also three um, meditations that are available uh, that are uh, help people to sleep, help people to work through pain, um, and things like that. And then I also have uh, a psychotherapy practice, but what has happened um, in the past few years is that I'm semi-retired. I just work w- with a few people at a time. I have a concierge practice, and people will hire me for one month at a time, and uh, they can invite anybody into the therapy that they want, whether it's a business system uh, or, or a family system or a friends or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever the case may be. And we work intensively for a month. Um, the two days are devoted to uh, hitting, uh, healing the past, and then um, the rest is to uh, the next over the month to be available 24/7 for uh, more therapy and for emergency. Um, most of these people have not, uh, like myself, did not have that um, ability to have someone available when they really needed them when they were younger. And so this has been very healing for people to be able to know that I'm here for them. 
no matter what they're going through. And uh, I don't mind at all if they have to call me at 2 o'clock in the morning. And so since I'm just working with a few people at a time, it's no burden at all. Um, I'm able to really give that kind of service. So that's um, that's pretty much it. There's two other books. They're all available on um, Amazon. And uh, Simon Schuster has distributed the last two books to bookstores, so most of them are available in bookstores, um, including Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Solution, and The Healing Moment. And uh, they're also available on uh, Amazon, Barnes Noble, and um, any of the book sites, I think, uh, as well as you can order them right on my uh, webpage. And I'd love to hear, you know, people, anybody that's listening to your show, I'd love to hear from them, any comments or, or uh, my emails on there. Um, they're more than welcome to contact me. Well, very nice. Well, Donna, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Me too, and thank you so much for having me. It was a real treat, and I love your sense of humor. You know, we were talking before the show. That's really so important to be able to to laugh through life and and to really see the silver lining of humor in every situation once once we're far enough away from it to look back. Very nice. We've been talking with Dr. Donna Marks, and the topic tonight has been The Healing Moment, the title of her latest book. You know, I'm no sproctologist, but uh, there's this, this, uh, I guess, wisdom or vision or... I'm not even sure it's a linear thing. It might be a in-dimensional, multi-dimensional aspect of ourselves. I guess you could call it soul. And uh, I I got cracked open like 25 years ago, and um, it seems like it seems like the potential for my life is. Uh, contingent, I mean, this is a duh statement, is contingent on my ability to show up for it. Like I've shared before, when I wrote my first book, it was just an arguing match between my heart and my ego. And once I taught my ego to um, value the wisdom of my heart and my soul, my ego is woefully unqualified to discern the value of the wisdom of my heart and my soul. When I finally taught my ego to just listen and trust and execute into action, Shazam, I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm always uh, enamored, uh, delighted when new um, vectors, new tangents, new things for me to engage are fed to me from my heart, my soul. I'm getting better and better at realizing that when that first sentence, when that first suggestion shows up, that's a, it's a seed. It's a new potential it's a new vector it's a new outcome and i can get really excited about it because there's purpose and value and passion and resources behind those kind of things i think when our soul dangles a dream of what our life might be in front of us it's just a stepping stone it's not the end game the the dream, the visions that our heart and our soul show us is just a carrot going, come on, come on, trust yourself. You, the, there's so much expansion, so much passion, so much um, potential within you that can express through you as you if you just show up for yourself. I know it can be t- uh, tough living on planet Earth. I get that. <laughs> but, but.
but my God, what could be more rewarding than than working through struggles and and breaking through the other side and really accomplishing wonderful things for yourself? Hey, hey, here you are at the end of the show. You showed up for yourself. Kudos to you. Bravo. I'm glad to have you here. As always, a pleasure. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Les Jensen. You've been listening to a new human living broadcast. If you're a spiritual seeker, you're going to eventually bump up against your relationship with God, especially if you grew up in some of the more classic Western religions. Forgiven Sinner, God's Last Savior, is a spiritual book written for spiritual seekers to help them heal their relationship with God and more fully embody their own life purpose. Forgiven Sinner, God's Last Savior. Get your copy. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Thanks for listening. Until next time.